Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two intrepid co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the John Hughes classic film, The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. From 1984, I believe. Or 1985, excuse me. 1985, I believe. And the reason it's from 1985, and this is relevant, and I don't know if you... Uh, did this on purpose, Mike, in selecting this movie to talk about, but it just celebrated its 30-year anniversary. Totally like on last purpose. Week. Like last week. Yep. Literally last week. So yeah. we are perfectly on time for this to discuss uh, this 1980s coming-of-age hey, film. Keep it down over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the loudest <laughs> bottle I've ever heard. All right, Principal. Uh, principal. Hey, Mr. Bull, you get the horns. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Here's the trailer. Yeah, here's the trailer. It is now 7.06. You have exactly eight hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions? Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. Can't believe this is really happening to me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. (coughs) Chicks cannot hold a smoke. That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. Wow, great trailer. <laughs> great trailer. <laughs> so quick. One thing I like about Mike is how seamless he's able to understand editing concepts. That's my favorite thing about him. Oh, oh. just comedy. It's a good trailer. It's- um, so this is a very interesting film. Um, you know what, before, you know what I forgot to mention? What? what how you, you can find you? us on the internet. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um. Because it's not 1985, it's yeah. 2015. And if you want to yeah. go and find more episodes of this show, because for some reason you just stumbled upon <laughs> Don't it. Don't let us stop you. Go you right can, ahead. You can go to reviewedpodcast.com. You can like <laughs> us at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. And you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Okay. So let's right, get into it. Work. So The Breakfast Club is a film, as I said, that came out in 1985. It's a famous coming-of-age film. It is what is known as a bottle film, that it all takes place in one uh, essential location. It focuses on five teenagers from different cliques who are sharing detention on one fateful Saturday morning and come to realize they are more similar than they once ever imagined. <sighs> Nailed it. It's a very uh, representative of its time. It's John yeah. Hughes when he was at the peak of his John Hughes powers, I would mm-hmm. say. Whoa! Um, Does anyone else have John Hughes powers? Ferris Bueller. I guess Chris Columbus probably has John Hughes powers. Yeah, he was given to them (laughs) by John Hughes. (laughs) Um, And it's, uh, you know, it starred um, a lot of actors who were part of what was known as the Brat Brat Pack. Pack. Mm. So that's Emilio Estevez and Judd Nelson Nelson and Molly Ringwald and uh, um, Anthony uh, Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. So, um, and who? Ali Ali, Sheen. Ali Sheen. Sheen. Um, So, yeah. If this is a fan, this is a very interesting film to talk about, and I'll toss it over to you in a second, Mike. But the reason I find it fascinating mm. is I have never seen this movie all the way through from beginning to end. Mm. I have seen every part of this movie just out of order, and the reason because this is one of those films that always played on cable or basic yeah. cable or like even network television at like Saturday afternoons, yeah. routinely. Right. And um, so just like always, they're spinning Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it's perfect. Mm. But this is that this is that kind of movie that just uh, they would play over and over and. 
and over again. Um, in fact, I don't even think you can see this movie without the TBS logo in the bottom <laughs> right corner. So I watched it. <laughs> That's how I watched it this time. So, um, Mike, mm. I'll start with you. Mm. You chose this film. A, did. why did you choose it? B, are you familiar with it? And C, did you enjoy it? Wait a minute. Where's, those, where's slow down, A? Slow down. What's A? <laughs> a? A is what? There was a wait. There was letters thrown at me. I, I barely know my alphabet. You can't do that to me. A, uh, did you? Uh, why did you choose it? Why? Did you well, I think it? we already discussed it was its thirtieth anniversary. So I had to, <laughs> no, actually, that was perfectly uh, coincidental. That's so, good. Uh, it, yeah. I think it was on our list. It was been on my list for a while. I've been wanting to see it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I think, was actually <laughs> I was at an '80s party a couple of years ago. Um, everyone dressed up like they were in the '80s. It was pretty awesome, and they had this playing on loop on the background, and I was like checking out portions of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think one in particular was the the shot of uh, uh, the girl like uh, ruffling her hair and putting dandruff. snow onto her picture with her own dandruff. And I was like, this is an interesting You're yeah. talking about film. Ali Sheedy's character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allison. I can't remember the name. Allison, is that her name? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I saw that. And I'm like, I, I should probably check this out at some point. This is, this is interesting. And of course, like as you're watching the movie, I've seen bits and pieces of it like all the time, like the dancing scenes. There's like mm-hmm. a lot, of, a lot of classic scenes you, I've seen in, in portions across uh, 30 years of my existence or so. Um, I I liked it, and I, I I didn't think I would because I don't I don't know if I'm a huge John Hughes fan. I didn't like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, well, that's blasphemy. But continue. <laughs> ah, Ferris Bueller's an asshole. Why, why do we like this guy anyway? It, no, but he, okay. I don't want to get in, okay. I don't want to get into too much of a no. digression. But Ferris isn't an asshole. He is a man of the people. Everyone loves Ferris. No, no, he's, <laughs> no. Save Ferris, Mike. Yeah. Okay. We should. We should. Yeah. So anyway, the Breakfast anyway. Club. Breakfast Club. Uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought that he did great characterization. In all the characters. I think you know it's not perfect. I think uh, Judd Nelson in particular. I don't think he ever. He's kind of a jerk like the whole way through. I never really feel like he has a real change of heart except toward like the very end. I feel like his stuff was really uh his character arc was a little a little wonky, but everybody else, I think there's some really great moments and I think they do a good job of making you like all of them. Um you kind of get I think you have your original opinion of them and then I like how they kind of put them on their head a little bit. And you kind of know why they're all there. Mm-hmm. Uh understanding the backstory. I think I, I say it more than anyone else is the um uh, redheaded kid, the uh, what, what's is that? Uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Thank yeah. you. Um, I, I the think nerd. He, the nerd. Right. Right. I think he's. I think he ended up becoming my favorite character the entire night. It was that one moment where he's talking about. So when he talks about the elephant, he had to make the elephant in shop class, right? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't get the lamp to work, and supposed to pull in the trunk, and then the lamp supposed to turn on. And like with well, the first time he talks about it, it's like really funny, and it just sounds comical. And then the second like time when he brings it up is the fact that he's going to kill himself because he couldn't figure out how to get this elephant trunk to work, and he's going to fail out and. I just there's something so pathetic and heart wrenching the way he talks about like I you know I pulled the chain and the light didn't come on and I was gonna you know I, I think him in particular just really he seemed just like a real character I think all of them did for the most part um, even the principal like I like I like how he, when he's out in the hallway he's this authoritative commanding you Dick know Vernon, like, right yeah Dick right Vernon, right you know, <laughs> Richard perfect, yeah. perfect name um, <laughs> principal. When he's yeah, when he's in principal mode, like he just seems like this badass. He's in control, and he's in his office, and he's like spilling his coffee. He's making like a cup pencil spinning mobile thing in his office. Like he has this persona he puts on, but behind the scenes, he's just kind of this like lost schmucky kind of dude. Um, yeah, I, I just man, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was good. It was well thought out, well acted. I thought well directed. There's a couple spots that are weird, but. That's any 80s movie, I think, for me. Um, <laughs> but I'll pass it over to you, Dave. What do yeah. you, uh, 
What do I think? What do you think? Yeah. What do you feel? I was alive when this movie came out. I was too. Barely. You were? were Barely. You You are not, right? No. This this was uh, a year before you. Um, Well, I was born in 1985, but I believe this movie came out in March, so no, I was still a twinkle in my mother's eye. Well, you were more than a twinkle in her eye. I was a lump in her belly. There you go. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I too am not the biggest John Hughes fan, honestly. I mean, my favorite John Hughes movie. Oh, well, we don't. Wait, wait, wait. uh, Well, you're not a big John Hughes fan? (laughs) Not really. I love Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, right. I like Ferris Bueller. And, uh, and you really, John Hughes didn't make a ton of movies. I mean, he made a handful of, he made 16 Candles. Uh, planes, trains. He produced. He, pre- he probably produced as many more movies than he actually directed. No, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was looking over his filmography before um, we came over here, and I thought he directed so many more movies than yeah. he, he wrote a did. lot of them. He wrote a lot of them. Really, yeah. He produced a ton of movies. He was involved in so many movies. But right. In terms he was of kind of like Judd Apatow is these days, where he really has only directed like three or four movies. But you know, he's got. Uh, you say Judd Apatow, you can think of like a ton of of movies that. He's maybe associated with, or he's linked to through actors or producers or whatever, um, but uh, he hasn't directed them. Just like John Hughes, I mean, he made Sixteen Candles. Uh, did he make? I think some kind of no, some kind of wonderful. He was, wrote that, I believe. Yeah, some kind of wonderful for, for whatever reason. Some that's the uh, movie with Eric Here, Stoltz. I'll, I'll give you the uh, the rundown. You want me to give you what he yeah. directed? Movies that John Line Hughes directed. Let's go. John Hughes directed the following. 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, uh-huh. Ferris Bueller's uh, Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck, and the underrated classic, Curly Sue. So, <laughs> Dave, let's, yeah. get to, let's get to The Breakfast Club here, man. Is this a movie that moved you? Take a stance, you? Dave. So, no, not really. How old were you when this came out? Uh, nine. Oh, so we're being this, real. Is, this, is, this, is two, this is two before your time. This, this is, this is before, I, It wasn't like I was in high school and everyone's like, wow, have you seen The Breakfast Club? No, this is a movie that... Um, I remember in, in acting, in drama club and acting class, people were doing scenes from The Breakfast Club. And I, and I remember thinking, this movie is okay. It, it's, not really, it's not like a movie I, I want to do scenes from. I mean, but uh, so for me, you know, I typically, if you're going to rate movies out of five stars, which I typically do on on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, uh, it's a three out of five mo- star movie for me. This isn't a classic. And it's funny because you look, not for me. I mean, you look up, Hang on, I'm you sorry, type do, into do Google. Do you rate movies on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, uh, none, well, I mean, you can go and just give it your your own star rating. So, so you, you do, know, you see, yeah, yeah. I just do for oh, my for just give them back, give them back to the community. I like it. No, I just I'm just giving back to myself so I can remember the movies I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> go back and look at them. Um, but uh, here's the thing, you know, this movie is basically um, meant to appeal to a wide swath of people. It's about five kids stuck in uh, detention on a Saturday, and each one of those kids kind of represents uh, a type even though the whole point of the movie is that at you know, you're, at the end of the movie you're supposed to understand that these kids aren't really a type and and for mm. me it doesn't really succeed in and in, in, in breaking free of that i mean at the end of the movie judd nelson is still like the uh the bad boy loner guy but yes okay we saw another side of him he's got a heart of gold right he's got a little bit of oh, a soft he? side yeah well he, he kind of does i mean he's he sacri- s- you know he does the sacrificial thing when they're running in the hallway of of letting all the other, all four of them run back. You know, there's this scene where they're running through the hallway looking for his pot and, and, uh, and then they get stuck somewhere in the building and then the principal's after them and, and he runs around making noise and says, you guys run back to the library. I'm going to, you know, he starts singing, I'm going to be an air force ranger or something like that. And, uh, Oh, you want to sing some more? Dave? Yeah, good, no, Dave. no, that's, that's enough. Beautiful. We can all just nice. quiet down. And yeah. Just yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Sing a few bars for at us. At the end, I'll, I'll sing a little, <laughs> little, little Judd Nelson classic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Stick around until uh, after know, the credits. So Anthony Michael Hall is like the nerd, but then we also see he's got some depth to him, right? He's not just like the uh, the uh, the the Leave It to Beaver smiley dimple home life that Judd Nelson thinks is his life, right? He's, he's got going some, to school with a flare gun in his right. Locker. He's got he's got he's got a streak of uh, perfectionism that uh, that borders on obsessiveness and and I think his leads, parents leads and, to some yeah. suicidal thoughts. So there's like you know there's the goth girl who's a weirdo, but you know that's that's the one that bothers me the most. Honestly, Ali uh, Sheedy's character, who's the goth girl, I like her one of them. She's and, one of the no, ones. but her her and, turn is the most problematic. Yeah, and, and at the end of the movie, you know, we're obviously spoiling the movie because people who listen to this, we just assume they've seen the movie. But yeah, at the end of the movie, yeah. uh, Ali Sheedy gets a makeover like on some reality show, and and uh, that's when you know the boys in in the library start noticing her. And then you got Emilio Estevez, he plays the jock. And he has this confession to, um, uh, he, it's basically a bullying confession, right? Is what it amounts to. I mean, he, bully, mm. he confesses to having bullied some kid, and that's why he's uh, in detention. And then um, one more. Oh, Molly Ringwald. I never really understood. What, what did Molly Ringwald do to she it? She went cut shopping. class and went shopping. And went shopping. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, so what was, I mean, I, I guess maybe of all five of them, I, I can't think of really what, what happened with her that she, like nothing really, there was no real arc with Molly Ringwald. I think the point I'm trying to get at is that uh, they no, all... hers is that she she just she resents her parents because both of them neither of them really care about her. They use her as a way of getting yeah. So she back cries a little bit or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. know, everybody has. So basically, it amounts to like a big therapy session. Like it's it's supposed to be detention, and this movie is uh, to me about it, it's trying to say it. You know, if we can just talk to each other, we can we can get through our problems. So all it is is. These kids talking to each other, interspersed with some really kind of fantastical elements that that John Hughes used to like to throw in his movies, like Emilio Estevez dancing and yelling until the glass breaks. I mean, things that yeah. obviously aren't really going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Uh, and you're, he's he's kind of interspersing that in, in between scenes of them talking and being heartfelt, and it feels you know pretty stagey. It feels almost like a play. Um, but I think the performances are good. I think John Hughes directed it as probably at a, about as well as that script could be directed. And um, Ooh, harsh. And I think that there's, I think there's obviously something appealing about these five stereotypes because people still watch this movie. If you just Google best teen movies or best high school movies of all time, I just did. I mean, it appears at the top of the list. So there's obviously something appealing about this movie. Mm. Yeah, uh, there is on a mainstream level to people. And I have no idea what it is. No, oh, I, really? I, no, I just um, in watching this movie all the way through. I just didn't get it. I still oh. don't get it. I don't. I don't understand why this movie is a cultural touchstone, and it is a cultural touchstone. I mean, uh, the movie is quoted. It is referenced in pop culture. The song. Um, the song by um, Don't You Forget About Don't Me. You Forget That's About Me. That's a great song. I, I yeah, love I like that, that one. I was singing it afterwards. <laughs> is uh, is you know famously associated with this film. I think there's a lot of good moments. I think there are, like you said, Dave. I think the performances are are pretty good across the board. Uh, it's just that at the end of the day, this is a movie about boredom, and I found it really what? boring. You know, it's about a about bunch kids. of kids. What, what do they do when they're bored? Yeah, this, uh, is, what, yeah. this is kids dealing with boredom, and then, and and then how they overcome that. Um, I don't know. It's just a lot of the moments either felt too saccharine, saccharine, saccharine for me, yeah. um, or they felt too fantastical, as you said. And so when he tries to get to the moments that are supposed to feel real, they never quite clicked with me. Hmm. I don't believe. I think the main problem, a movie like this requires you, I think, to have some understanding of like, you know, having a heart, yeah. <laughs> having a bit of a soul. No. So that's probably, I think, lacking that, <laughs> lacking both of those. I think that's probably. Well, you say that, but like, 
I tend to I tend to gravitate, or at least I used to. I used to, I used to really gravitate towards sappier movies. And um, Hughes as a filmmaker, as a screenwriter, wears his heart on his sleeve a lot of the times. Kind of like Cameron Crowe. Yeah, he does. I, I think there's a huge comparison between those two <laughs> filmmakers because a lot of moments in his movies are inherently cheesy. Even Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the ending is very sweet and, mm-hmm. and it's about you know family and it's supposed to make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. And I think he manages to capture that oftentimes without going crossing that line to the point where you want to puke. Mm-hmm. And I really respect him for doing that. And in this movie, I think he almost touches upon it. The best scene in the film is towards the end, after they smoke the joint, and they're really getting real with one of each, one mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. That's the point of the whole movie. The whole mm-hmm. movie's been yes. building up to this idea mm-hmm. that they're going to actually communicate. But I feel like it takes so long to get there, and there's so much stuff that happens that really doesn't feel like it's progressing the characters in any way at all. Uh, I mean... But why do you say that? Because I, I, I thought it I thought it did. I think my, you're kind of... My huge issue is um, Judd Nelson is essentially the character given the most to do in the movie. Yeah. He's the protagonist, I would say, yeah. or the leading, the character with the most stuff that happens to him. And that being said, I feel like he is such a flat character for so much of this movie. And even when he show, kind of shows another side, it, it, it started, it just tired on me for a while, after a while. I, okay, I would say, I wouldn't say, for me, he didn't uh, didn't come off as flat, but I thought that like he was very almost one note. I don't think he played a lot, like, Maybe that's what you mean by flat, I guess. Yeah. Um, because exactly I think he has a lot of... Right, it's exact, it's by definition what you mean. <laughs> but I think he, he has a lot of, like... I wanted to see more of a turn in his character. Like, he, he can still be the tough guy, right, who's got an edge to him because he's got an abusive, you know, set of... Uh, at least a father, maybe his mother as well. I don't know. Um, I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more of a change toward the end. And I feel like when everyone else is making that change, everyone's kind of getting real with each other. Each other. In particular, when uh, Molly Ringwald shows off her talent of, like, putting on lipstick with her boobs... <laughs> <laughs> Which, by all accounts, is very impressive. Um, and he's just That's like just meant to break the ice. I think, in all fairness, right, right, right. But I, I think like he's just kind of like, like he's still being a jerk at that point. And like I, I don't, I just don't buy it at that point. I think it makes sense in the beginning because I think he's totally interested in her. He's trying to you know show that he's tough and he's cool. And I think all that. But at that point, I feel like he, I would see something different out of that character, especially because we're seeing everybody. The walls are coming down, and a lot of other characters were getting behind. You know, Emilio Estevez's character about why he was bullying him, you know, mm-hmm. this nerd guy about what he was planning on doing. And then him, he's like exactly the same in the beginning. And I, I don't I don't see something changing in him at all. And, and, then, and then she shows up in the, the room where he is like, oh, let's make out. I'm like, there's no way in hell that girl yes. is going to want to like hook yeah. up with this guy after that just yeah. happened. I mean, like, there's no. It's, it's one of the many fantastical things yeah, conce- that happen. Conceptually, movie, but... I think that makes sense. I think that if you were to pitch to me this movie, you talk about this, you know, you know, uh, criminal of a character who's crazy and wild, and all of a sudden he reveals that he has a heart, and he finds out that him and the girl have something in common, and they come together. I get that, but it just doesn't work in the in what has happened in the movie. Like, there's no reason for Molly Ringwald's character to like Je- John uh, and, to, and to, to John Bender. Like, it makes no sense. So, and then the end when he she gives him the earring and he does the fist pump is just. It's just, it, it's laughable yeah. to me at this point. Well, if we were to have a girl on this podcast, she could explain the bad boy thing. And I have to admit uh, to have been being in a situation uh, where, we could I've find liked, a where I've liked a girl who likes people like Judd Nelson. So I think that there's something to his character. I, th- I think he has a certain charisma to him. And I think there's a certain, I could see a certain attraction at first, but I don't know. Unless, I mean, I, I, if any girl gets tormented that much before she gets like intimate with a guy, I don't think she's going to put up with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like at some point, like, I think that happens either the guy kind of like 
eases up for a bit. They end up in a relationship, and then he becomes a jerk again, and then she kind of puts up with it because she knows he's not really that bad. Mm-hmm. But I think if he's that being like, that outwardly aggressive. There's no way. Like I don't, I don't buy that at all. And then it, you know, I think the other argument to be said is the other Ali Sheedy, right? I think mm-hmm. that's also kind of out of nowhere. Like, wait, all of a sudden now she's this beautiful girl, and like, but well, that to me felt a lot more the goth natural. weirdo who, who who puts on makeup and brushes back her hair and puts on a pink dress, and suddenly it's like well, that that that's she's... incredibly problematic for a right. variety of reasons. <laughs> One, because it, it's painting this idea that a girl can't be pretty unless she's conventionally right. pretty, which exactly. is which is which is a huge issue. I mean, what, what makes her her is that she's weird, right? So right, you, yeah, yeah. so you the only way the guy's gonna like her is if she strips the, the one thing away that makes her her, right. and that, that 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 bothers well, me. But there's the also something I, I think the point they're trying to make is it's less less so about like you have to change for, to someone to like you. But I think it's a matter of just kind of getting him to notice in a way. It doesn't, I, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it kind of hints at that message of like, look, all you have to do is look beautiful for a man and then he'll, then he'll, then you'll earn his love. Right. But that's, yeah. I, 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 and I think that's kind of a bad way of looking. I just look at it as, you know, she's always kind of like skulking around with the hair in front of her face and the mm-hmm. wearing black and act, you know, I feel like it was almost that she wasn't showing everything she had to offer, I think. Because mm-hmm. when you when you get the hair out of her face, you can see how you know much how much more attractive she is. Um and I and I don't think that, that all of a sudden turned on something with uh in uh Millie Westfest's head. I think he had already there's already had, they already had a moment they already had a in the moment, movie, right? I, agree. I feel like in that point and I like that by the way. My girlfriend saw it, I think she felt like it was a little bit too sudden or Which too scene? It's when they when he basically starts talking to her about like why do you have all this stuff in your bag why are you playing oh, right, running away she admits to being uh what did she say she's a, a kleptomaniac or no something? nymphomaniac but no 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 before that even when yeah it's oh, him oh. it's her him and then the, I think the nerdy kid and they are and she empties out her bag and she's like right. I need to have stuff in my bag so I can leave at a moment's notice and he's like right. well why do you want to run away and okay. she kind of hides it and he's like hey if you brought it up you want to talk about it we should talk about it right. and I thought that moment I don't know between him and her right there and I, I don't it just maybe just the fact that he was reaching out to her like hey I saw something come on talk to me what's going on right and I don't know the line that she the, 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 I forget what the line is I should have uh, wrote it down you mean what? in research no, yeah right <laughs> come on I mean and that's the thing about this movie is that it you know, we I understand it's it's meant there has to be a story arc and, and they and obviously they wanted to do it in one day, but it's almost like too much happens in this day. You know, this this amount of this kind of dramatic turn wouldn't really happen. Well, you I, know, if, if you're if you're considering this a therapy session, which is what I'm considering it. You know, the, the, these kinds of changes don't happen like in a day. But a, I feel a like better s- movie could make it happen. Yes, because, uh, exactly. Uh, my exactly. B- my great example is it's the Twelve Angry Men philosophy, right? That whole movie is is the same conceptually. I was actually it's a one same, day movie. It's a one day movie. It's, I, I was it, it starts at the beginning like, and changes to the end, and it all feels natural, and the characters change, and you know, it's that's about a crime. Well, the stakes are much higher in that movie, though. But. But it's the same. But but I, mean, it's, I guess you can control the stakes. Are yes, I guess same, I, I, I take that back. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I feel like this is the teenage twelve. I just back. think I just think that the movie wastes a lot of time, and I think that may be concept that may be conceptual to where they are. They're in detention, wasting time. Mm-hmm. But no, but just I, so I agree much, with you. Like I, stuff that I just don't. And this is crap. this is what I always I always give like older <laughs> movies crap for. I think like the eighties were not as or previous older movies were not as tight as they are today. I feel like there's a lot less. Mm. Um, I mean, and that's not that's not a uh, you know blanket statement, but I think majority of movies I find the problems with like editing. Editing isn't tight, or the, the you know the way they uh, the the the, um, the character beats aren't there. I feel like if someone really sat down and said like I, I feel like this was something that was written more on instinct than on um, maybe structure, where they said like oh John Nelson's kind of this guy who would do this, and then he, I guess he would kind of do this instead of saying like John Nelson is a uh, sorry, I keep saying John Nelson John Bender John Bender John yeah. Bender is a character yeah. who has X Y and Z he is looking for this he needs the, not that a, for, a story should be formulaic but you should know these characters and you should know exactly what's going to cause them to turn in, in a certain direction so you can kind of have them flow naturally organically 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like it was really well. I, th- I feel like it was written from the heart, not without any any bit of the mind kind of brought yeah. in a little bit to think yeah. it out. You know? Well, I did read that he wrote it in two days, and it does feel like something that was kind of written like, like he exactly really it, had to yeah. get something out, and like, like oh, I'm going to write all this about this. And kids. there's a lot of improvisation, improvisation on the set, too. They also okay. kind of like took, took things wherever they wanted to. So I feel like that all kind of contributes to the same thing. But right. that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, overall, this movie like works just enough for me. You know, like like I I, I, res- yeah, I respect I it enough. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think that's a good way to phrase it. Like, I I get there are parts of it that I think are really appealing. I think it's influenced a lot of so much other things. So it's important in that regard. Uh-huh. I just think when you go back and watch it nowadays, I can think of other teen movies. I feel like that do the same earnest type thing, but do it better. Right. My 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 big argument is I think have you has everyone seen Can't Hardly Wait. Mm-mm. The um, <laughs> Ethan Embry, it? Jennifer Love Hewitt teen comedy. No, I think wow, th- that really? that whole no. movie takes place in one night, mm-hmm. and it's you know features the same type of kids and archetypes. It's the nineties. I think that does everything that the Breakfast Club is trying to do and does it better, hmm. and is a, a and is a better film. Yeah, I think for me, like if I look at this movie with a critical eye, I think I, it, it falls apart in, air, in certain areas. But I think overall, emotionally. And, you know, like instinctually for me, I kind of, it resonates with me on the sense of like, I like these guys. I feel like that, you know, it's. No, I, I, that's fair. Know? That's a fair point. There's a lot of things that the movie does about, uh, that's talking about stereotypes and clicks that I think is very compelling. The, mm-hmm. the, great, the greatest thing, I think my favorite scene actually in the movie is, or one of the better scenes is, is with Molly Ringwald's character. When she flat out is a realist and says, when you see him Monday morning yeah. in the hall, you're going to ignore him or make yeah. fun of him. And I think that right. was, a, I think it's a great moment because it's true <laughs> because it's very truthful. And everyone's like, oh, you're being, you're being a bitch. You're being shrewd. And, and that's, but yes. she's being, she's being totally pragmatic about the situation. And that's something I'm, very, I'm glad you brought that up because as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, yeah, this is nice. And I love how they're friends. But in real life, the next day they would, they would ignore each other. That's well, that, how people that's, are. That's and then they me. say it and they bring it up, right? You know? Yeah, that's happened to me. I oh, mean, of course, you, yeah. you have like a bonding experience with somebody and you think you're going to be, you know, you Summer camp or Summer a job. camp or, yeah, yeah, a job or I had, a great example is I had driver's ed with this kid and we mm-hmm. like really bonded and then we saw each other in the halls after that in, uh, you know, behind the wheel and then we saw each other in high school after that and we just never <clears> talked <throat> to each other ever again. Yeah. And that's yeah. just kind of, you're, you know, be, people being forced into situations are forced to make connections and I think this movie is an interesting reflection of that and I like this, I like this very cynical idea that come Monday morning they they feel like they've had this huge bonding experience but... Emilio Estevez still ignores Brian in the halls. I right. like that. I like that. Idea. Well, I would say I would kind of flip that on, on its head a little bit. <laughs> Brian about, being the nerd, yes. played by Anthony Michael. Yeah, uh, I flip that on its head a little bit. I don't say people are forced to make a connection. They do. I think that naturally happens. I think people are then forced apart. And I think that that you know they they have a very genuine connection with each other. But then when they go into school the next day, because of their natural clicks, they are going to just you know it's easy to just ignore someone or pretending it didn't happen. I feel mm-hmm. like that's really the part that's unnatural i feel people are forced to be that way right um but then also i I think um she also says something molly ringwald says something else um uh it's not just the fact that because brian's like guys i would still be friends with you and she's like well that's because your friends would want to be like they look up to us right Right. which is also the other like that's the second hard truth that she just drops i'm like oh my gosh that's that's brutal but again that's the truth i think certain clicks work it's like it's a it's a one-way street you know the guys at the bottom it's a serfdom system right yeah yeah a feudal system. That's what I was trying to say. With serfs. With serfs. Unless yeah. you mean like surf, like like. No, I mean the uh, the medieval Hank form Ten of the man. term. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Not the Smurfs. <laughs> not, not the Smurfs. <laughs> so I mean. I, I think it's interesting. Maybe we, well, we haven't talked about the principal at all. I mean, we should talk about. Because, I, I like to me, when, I, you, when you say what's your favorite scene in the movie. I mean, to me, it's honestly the scene where so the principal is played by Richard Gleason, who's our is it Richard 
Gleason is, is that his name? <laughs> Research. Uh, <laughs> Come on, this podcast is so bad. Uh, Paul Gleason. Sorry, Paul Gleason, who plays Richard Vernon. Well, he's um, the, so when you're, I think when you're in high school, when you watch a movie like The Breakfast Club, uh, you, you probably see it and think, "Wow, they really understand me." You know, these, these are the things that have been going on inside of my head. Maybe I haven't talked about them with anybody else, and that's probably the reason why a movie like this sits well with maybe high school kids. But I think when you get older, there's not really much that they say or do that that uh, that expands beyond the scope of like like something a high school student could connect with right at least not for me i mean i i, I think if you had seen this movie in the 80s uh there's going to be a little nostalgia factor for you and it's going to connect maybe in a certain special way mm. and i think maybe kids if you were in your teens if you're like 14 15 16 you see this movie uh you're probably going to think this is a pretty like wow they, like, this is pretty this might be a, my favorite movie for like a couple months or something um but obviously now I'm pushing 40 and I'm thinking like, oh, the principal guy. I mean, this is a guy who's, uh, who started probably only a few years out of high school because teachers sometimes, I mean, you become a teacher when you're 22, 23, right out of college. I mean, you're not that far out of, uh, you're not that, it hasn't been that long. I mean, I remember right. when I graduated college, I was, um, I, I did AmeriCorps, which is like the Peace Corps in America. And uh, my, uh, the, I was uh, placed in, uh, it was in Pittsburgh and I was a high school tutor. So... I was tutoring kids that were like, uh, so I was 23, I think at the time, and I was tutoring kids anywhere between 14 and 17. And you know, those 17, it's not, it, there's not that big a difference between me and these other kids. So, you know, this, this, this guy, uh, this character, Principal Vernon, I mean, he probably started as a teacher and, and he, and he moved up and, and, uh, he thought he was going to be making maybe more money or have a, have a, a more interesting in life lives. or making a difference in some yeah. kids' lives. Right. And he got cynical and tired and whatever, and and uh, now he thinks that the world has turned on him. And and uh, there's a scene where he's talking to the janitor who, and he says these kids turned on me. And, and uh, you know, he's basically coming to an understanding that uh, you know if he doesn't if he doesn't change the way he deals with these kids, they're not gonna. You know, the janitor says something like these kids aren't gonna take care of you, or or I wouldn't count on these kids taking care of you, or something. So to me, some of the the more interesting scenes in the movie were like were like that. There's a scene where he confronts Jed Nelson in the library. And they're like back and forth. You want to come back and for another attention another Saturday? That's two. That's three. That's four. Yeah, I, I, and then that after that confrontation, great. you know, there's this little you, you get a, a nice little moment with Judd Nelson. He get the look on his face where he's like, uh, you know, I, I lost control there. And, and you get another moment outside the door when you know outside the library, but the principal closes the door and he has this little moment where he's like, ah, oh, God, this is. You can kind of tell this is this life is kind of eating him up a little bit or whatever. Taking him when when something like this happens, it mm. doesn't really. Goes, you know, he doesn't love it, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's not, he's not uh, completely villain. Like he's not a hundred percent a villain in this movie. He's, you know, he's got some shades to him. So some of my favorite yeah. stuff in the movie is actually with the principal. I, I, I think he's got a lot of really good moments. The scene where him and Jed Nelson are back and forth, and it, it's just like racking up. The, yeah, I, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. All right, it's another one. I got you next week. Right. I got you in here for a month. I think, and then when he's even like, "What are we up to now?" And then Brian has the exact count, like, "Oh, mm-hmm. I had seven before," and mm-hmm. he's able to you know rattle off however many. I think he goes through actually one at a time and says how many he's got. Mm-hmm. I, I liked there was a couple of parts that didn't ring like a hundred percent true to me. I thought when he was threatening um, Bender in his like cell or whatever room that is when he's locked up in there, um, and he's telling him like go ahead. And he's like basically threatening him and he's like I'll kick your ass. Got to punch me first. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know about that. I mean, I'm sure it happens in real world. I don't know about that character if he would have really gotten to that point. I feel like I the man I see in that movie is a guy who's just barely in control. Um, and, you know, the fact that he leaves that room close to the door and then he's got that moment behind the door where he's like, oh, man, 
I barely got out of there. That was intense. You know, I feel like that that's more of the character I wanted to see. And I feel like they kind of took him in a different direction or, you know, um, I, I think he was a little bit sleazier. I kind of wanted to see him almost more of a victim than a, uh, um, you know, he's kind of put on this, this front of like being this, this his hard ass, but then, uh, behind closed doors, he's not that confident. He's kind of at the end of his rope. He's almost, he's, I wanted to see more of that. I don't know. I feel like he, they gave, they made him more of like just some like archetypal villain, you know, like, yeah. oh, just the bad guy. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Well, I mean, it seems like John Hughes liked principles as villains, I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's rough, the, there's, there's, there's Jeffrey up. Jones as the villain, villainous principal in Ferris Bueller. And, Ed Rooney. And, uh, uh, I don't know. I can't think of them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Sixteen Candles. I, haven't, I actually haven't seen Sixteen Candles, but uh, I'm willing to bet there's a principal who's not such a nice guy in that one. Or an authority <laughs> figure of some kind. And, yeah. and if we're talking about 1985 movies, I'm going to tell you the best high school movie from 1985, and that's Back to the Future. And that also has a, a principal who's not such a nice guy. Right, yeah, right, right. But uh, I would argue that Back to the Future, although made in 1985, isn't about teens in 1985. It's no. about teens in 1950. No, it's about a lot more. I mean, The Breakfast Club is is definitely, uh, its its focus is much more narrow than Back yeah, to the Future. And there's that whole, uh, I don't know, time travel oh, thing. Oh, yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, I mean, that's just a, a, a framework to get you to the, you know. It's a foil, really. What would you do if you could meet your parents or whatever? The time travel stuff is just there to get them to that point. But... You know, it's also a high school movie. I mean, it takes place almost, you know, all with high, it's, it's almost all high school kids in yeah. Back to the Future. I, um, I, talking about moments that don't work in the film, yeah. um, I think a lot, like, I, again, I think a lot of the conceptual ideas driving forth the characters make sense. But mm-hmm. when you say them out loud, it's a little ridiculous. Like, hit me with one. What do you mean? Okay, first off, if a kid's trying to kill himself, they're not going to put him in detention. They're going to yeah. like put him on suicide watch. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think they, I don't no, think no, he admitted he to That's not what it was for. He got in trouble because the flare gun in his locker went off, off and went on fire and they didn't he know he was, was trying and they to didn't kill know, Yeah, okay. I don't think they had any idea. Uh, the other and then I think the the the, the character motivation that bugs me the most is uh, Emilio Estevez's Andrew's character. Again, I get what he's going after. He's trying the to jock. impress his, the jock. He's trying to impress mm. his dad. He needs to, you know, fulfill a role in his life. I get that. But just like, he's like, and I totally just beat this kid up because I wanted to make my dad happy. Like, no dad would be happy that you beat a kid. Like, I, I don't know. I just, that didn't work for me. No, I, I think it does. I think it does. I, I could see And his speech, kid. his speech, it just, it keeps on going. Like, it goes on and on. And I'm like, you wouldn't be talking like this. It's always going off about, you know, when he was in school. All the wild things he used to do. And I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room and I'm taping up my knee and Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. And he's kind of, he's kind of skinny week and I started thinking about my father and his attitude about about weakness and the next thing I knew I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him and my friends they just laughed and cheered me on and afterwards when I was sitting in, in, in Vernon's office, all I could think about was Larry's father 
and Larry having to go home and and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation, fucking humiliation he must have felt. Oh really? No. See, Not I think if you, I think the right kind of guy would, and I think I see, I was riveted at that point. I like that speech a lot because I think it, he talks about the fact of like, yeah, when you think about it, when you break it down, like what that kid had to go through. You know, I'm having a tough time with my dad. Imagine what he had to do. He had to go back home and be humiliated by what I did. I like that speech a lot. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't know. I bought that character likes. I think that if you have a father like that, that you want him to be like, you know. He's this good old boy, and boys will be boys, and I'm, you know, uh, you're gonna, you kind of establish the characters in the cars, right? Yeah, and yeah. And even says like when they look, pull up to the library, and what his dad says is like, "I did what I, you know. I we all done this kind of stuff. That's what it's like. But the difference is you got caught. Like so, mm-hmm. even even when he does do what he's trying to get his dad's approval for, in some way, it kind of comes back to bite him in the ass because he he got caught, which his dad never did. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I I I I, I could see why there's something it's about little, the con- it's, it's no, expository. The, I think no. Well, there's something about the concept of there's so many dad issue movies. Like mm-hmm. everything, like, I, everything in the world is a dad issue. Yeah, and it's just like <laughs> everything. I, and I, every time a Aaron. character motivation comes back that my dad didn't love me enough, it just kind of pisses me off in a certain way. It's just like get over it, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> suck it up. You, you got over it. I mean, I mean, I'm fine. fine. We're all okay. Once, once you become a dad, maybe that becomes. Uh, <laughs> come on, enough with these dad issues. Yeah, uh, says the dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. it. Is it is a trope, and I think it's a tired trope. At that, and maybe but. it wasn't in 19. 19- this is again. This is the conversation we have in every damn episode. So maybe this wasn't a cliche back in the day. In 1985. But no, I think I think it is. I think it, it probably was a cliche then too. But again, it's, it's the idea of like, well, how do you deal with a cliche? I mean, every single thing, everything is everything's a remix. You know, everything has been already done, um, already been done. It's a matter of how they do it. And I think, I, I mean, the whole movie is, I think, really more than anything else, is about parents influence. Every single person is there because of a. You, know, you got the kid who has too much pressure from his parents, mm-hmm. so he feels like you know he's got to overperform. His son pressured to, to be the jock that his dad was, uh, Molly Ringwald, to be the perfect daughter for either of her two parents. Judd is abused by his father. Mm-hmm. The only one, do we not hear anything about uh, um, Allison's character? Uh, Allison? she's, she's the character with the least uh, going oh, no, on, she, honestly. And the thing is, well, no, actually, her parents, it, it, she doesn't, they don't even see her. She doesn't even exist to them. Right. So it's like, it's actually kind of like every uh, a whole spectrum of how parents, parents can abuse pa- their children. Pa- yeah, parents who are too attentive, parents that aren't there enough. Right, right. Um, who basically, are there too much. how mess- how badly you can mess up your children. Yeah, it's a great, right. it's a great way. You can, it's it's a choose your own adventure for how to damage your child. Parents don't understand, as Will Smith once said. <laughs> <laughs> um, directorially, like cinematically, like let's get away from the character aspects mm-hmm. of the film. Is John Hughes? Is John Hughes a great? A visual director? No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. no. My big argument against John Hughes as a cinematic type filmmaker is the scene where they're running from Vernon in the hallway. The geography of that scene is incomprehensible. Place, yeah. Incomprehensible. You have no idea. It's like, well, they're there and he's there. Why are they trying to get back to? Can they go this way? Like, I, That's an example for me where he's out of his element. He hmm. doesn't know how to stage that scene in a way where you just... It's supposed to be a tense scene. They're trying to avoid mm-hmm. the principal. Right, you don't like, really know where he is in relation to everybody else. Yeah, or, yeah. or where they need to be in order to not be seen by him. Like, uh, I think uh, you, you put that scene in the um, hands of James Cameron, and you're no, I'm serious. <laughs> James Cameron's Breakfast Club. I'd love to see that. <laughs> there would be a lot of aliens. There would be an action sequence They're in the all, middle. They would all be in power loaders going through the yeah. hallways. <laughs> but though, but let me tell you. 
James Cameron's uh, uh, Breakfast oh, no, Club. No, no, no. That's that that chase sequence would be shot. Oh yeah, terrifying. Ten times the filmmaker. Yeah, and it, and it would be in a way that you know where everything's going on you and not super sleep tense for weeks, right? <laughs> but and I think that and this the is library a, would be underwater. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but yep. you show this, you know, you know, uh, um, John Hughes when he directs this movie, it just it feels like it lacks inertia in 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 certain scenes. I think it, it lacks. I don't know. a certain like level of like. As deep as it gets, I, it never feels like a film to me. It feels like a good movie. You know, I don't think there's like really, or, or even a play. Like, like as is, Dave said, you could yeah. easily put, you could stage this. I feel like high school should stage this as a play. Right. Yeah. And maybe they do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, it's, we can. It's possible. <laughs> For all we know. An independent theater production just yeah. starring us. Got yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Review theater. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, maybe we should have had a high school kid on here reviewing this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, a great idea. I was yeah, actually, I was sure. thinking this. I really wanted to show this to a 15-year-old. Yeah. And I would be like, well, you know what? If you make this movie, if you remake the Breakfast Club movie nowadays, mm-hmm. the entire film is just five kids on their iPhones for eight hours. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. one talks right. to each no other. No one talks to each other You got Judd Nelson throwing rocks at the kid in front of him. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess like, that is interesting this, that, that uh, this takes place in a world in which boredom was like an actual possibility. Possibility, having to sit there in a library, not being able to get up yeah. from the desk to even read a book. There's literally nothing that they can do. How do they do detention these days? Do you have to like confiscate your phone? Like you yeah, walk I'm in, sure you drop you it in a basket, your phone, and you gotta like. I just the idea of that kids don't do this. Like there's always something to do nowadays. There's always something. I mean, mm-hmm. we're constantly being inundated with stuff to watch yeah, and yeah. look at and do that. It's impossible to ever be bored. Boredom right, so doesn't you can't, exist. You can't punish a kid by making them sit there at a desk anymore, right? Oh, no, not, I think I wouldn't say vice versa. I think that's even worse. If you take their phone away, it's even well, more Well, then, torture. yeah, maybe if you do that. I know for me, I said the last 10 years, I mean, I've always been bad about that, but now it's like if I sit there for five minutes and I don't have something to do, I'm like, where's my phone? Oh, my right. God. Like, oh, I'm totally accepting that my attention span is, yeah. is, is terrible. I hate it's that. Not and, anything and, like I just got a smartphone for the first time this past year and it's awful now like i used to be in situations like let's say i'm waiting for somebody yeah. to meet somebody mm-hmm. before i just like oh, i'm just gonna sit here and observe my surroundings and now i'm just looking at people my phone. watch i'm gonna enjoy the weather now i'm like oh what's going on on twitter so you i, I so have now to, you can look up you can look at uh, some of your surroundings and then look it up on wikipedia i have to consciously <laughs> force myself now in in situations like that where i'm like i'm just gonna be present like i have yeah. to like force yeah. myself to be present right. well, especially I, with relationships yeah, i think it's very difficult if like, you are in a therapist's office which again i keep coming back to that because that's what this is yeah a big therapy agreed, session yeah. you're not going to be on your phone talking to a therapist or if you're in a group therapy session which i guess this is what that is <laughs> yeah, but the difference um, is you're going you know, to a therapist versus being forced to go you know right. like you're just oh, so you're saying that uh, yeah, they were they you know it's not like they're here voluntarily. They're here because they have a choice, right? So and here's my question to you guys: a little confessional time. Have you ever have you ever done uh, detention? Did you ever have detention in any of your 12 years of school? <laughs> yes, and it was for the stupidest thing. Right. I was, well, what's your story? <laughs> there was this thing. I, okay, I got through four years of high school with no problems at all. Yeah. I was the biggest nerd. I was picked on. I had like I had no problems at all with authority. <laughs> I followed the rules. I did my homework. Um, and then my senior year, it was like the last two weeks, somehow it was the trend to start making the noise from the Blues, Clu- the Blues Clues dog would make. It was, what? So okay. kids would make that in class. Everybody <laughs> in the class would just start, like every time the teacher would turn around, four or five kids would make this noise. And it, I don't know why, just high school kids did this. And it was like the last week, and I guess it was spring was getting in everyone's systems, and I'm sitting there, and, and everyone, she, the teacher turns around, and I go, Bow! and halfway through, she turns around, looks right at me, and I go, she's like staring at me and she's like okay you're staying detention and I was like are you are you kidding me really I went up to her after class and like, I've never had a problem I've never. so I went to detention for making a cartoon dog noise nice 
And uh, that was my Saturday. So yeah, yeah, but it wasn't like anything. I think it was actually it wasn't even a Saturday. It was like an after school thing. It was like okay. you hung around for two hours, three hours, and yeah, you just sat at a desk and couldn't do anything. Um, How about and, you? Oh me, I mean, I was such a dorky kid. Like I didn't do anything bad. I mean, the the, the biggest thing I had to being bad thing is I had to stay up for class once for like talking. Like I was um well, that's something talking back yeah. to the, talking back to the teacher because I was just such I was such an annoying kid. I'm still an annoying guy. But, like back, <laughs> still an annoying kid. But I look back at my high school and I'm like, God, I wouldn't even been friends with myself. I was so annoying. I, I feel the same way. About so what myself. did you say? I, that made the teacher. I don't know. Like I I don't even think it was bad. I think I just, you're like hey. I think I tried to make a is joke. Barry Manilow but, know you raid his wardrobe. I think I tried to make. I don't even remember. I think I tried to. Uh, she. I tried to make a joke that wasn't funny about one of the problems that she was doing or something like that. Oh, okay. And like, mm-hmm. it's just like, like I always had to be the guy that would just talk. I couldn't shut up. I still can't shut up. That's why I'm talking on a podcast. <laughs> but like, and and I look back at myself right now, and I just want to smack my. I want to smack myself from like fourteen. I think every most 21. people do. I this would could be to, why we don't click with the movie quite as much as a high school student would. So Dave, when you were a bad kid, yeah, when you no, were you smoking behind the school, I, mean, I, I think. I think we were all pretty much do-gooders. To we're all, I, mean, look, I mean, we are the most undiverse yeah. podcast. Dave, you had a trench coat, though. I don't know about <laughs> you. And that was in college. <laughs> oh. and, that was, and that was all superficial. <laughs> what did you go to detention for? Uh, I was playing Frisbee with a friend during lunch. And uh, there was you a monster. Uh, I think my friend had thrown it on the roof. And I climbed up. Uh, there was like something, some way to climb up on top of this. It was like a two-story or story and a half kind of thing in front of the uh, school. And I climbed on top of it. Got called at the, the uh, assistant principal's office, and I got lunch detention. I had to clean cafeteria tables. That's actually tables. the best. That's the best way of getting thrown into detention. Well, that was the deten- That was well. The detentions that we had were lunch detention. That's what okay. you did. You well, didn't get to eat lunch with your friends. You got to sit by. You know, I got to eat, eat lunch. I just had to stay. I guess I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember having to clean cafeteria tables, and that was the one time I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I ever had to do it. And I don't. I, you know, I don't think I bonded with one single. Oh, I didn't talk to a single person. <laughs> it was like me being in a prison now. I'm just like, I, I just don't want to get kiss shanked. Any, I definitely I, I didn't wanna... kiss anybody. I can tell you that. No, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> there were no <laughs> makeovers. No, you no. You put your head no, up anyone's no. skirt. No, no makeovers. No pot smoking at all. <laughs> one thing I do want to address, one thing I think this movie does very well and is present throughout all of John Hughes's work is no filmmaker, I, I mean, maybe you can come up with an alternative option, Dave, but no filmmaker captured, quite captured the feeling of school. Yeah, I'll agree. what school yeah. feels like. And yeah. the way, and yeah. the way... I mean, because the thing that I found most fascinating about The Breakfast Club is schools become very magical, surreal places on days when you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Like, do you, like, yeah. Do you ever have to, like, stay after school for, like, a club or something, and you're one of the last, or, like, people left, and it's just, like... Or the musical on a Saturday yeah, night or and something. Yeah, there's just, there, yeah. There's just yeah. you and the janitor, and everything's quiet, <laughs> and you're like, this isn't how this place should be. And Or it's, like, it's the idea of seeing a teacher at the grocery store when they're not in their, like, teaching yeah, yeah. environment. It's just, like... Wow, there's a, they're like a real person yeah. that actually needs to go and buy food, or or you know, this school still exists when I'm not here. Because I think yeah. when you're 13 or 14, the world is so based around you and your experiences, it's impossible to conceptualize that the world continues turning outside of yeah. you. And this movie captures that brilliantly. Just the shots of lockers when you know the no empty halls, them, them empty, running through the halls, empty. Them going to get the milk in the cafeteria. Yeah. The, you know, I think that aspect is just very strong in the film. And it's thing he captures he captures school so well in Ferris Bueller and um uh Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles. Pink. Pretty in Pink. Pretty yeah. in Pink. Pretty in Pink. <laughs> Pretty in Pink. pink. That's, um, that's, uh, oof, that's another problematic movie. <laughs> Where the ending was changed by uh test audience i i have i don't think i've seen that one i've never seen pretty um so i think that 
is his legacy as a filmmaker, right? He was the guy that spoke for kids. Yeah. Teens. Kind of creepy when you think about it. Teens. (laughs) A little creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Even though his best movie was about two uh, middle-aged men. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Playing trans Planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. So what are you going to do? I'm still on the Ferris Bueller camp. I think the movie still works. (laughs) No, I like Ferris Bueller. I I like Ferris Bueller better than uh, Breakfast Club, actually. And I think Ferris Ferris Bueller has issues because Ferris Bueller falls apart in Mm -hmm. its third act. But Mm -hmm. the the first... Falls apart five minutes into the movie. No, the first act of Ferris Bueller is just so good. It's just so it's so quintessentially important but uh i think it has it has uh so the breakfast Club has lots of good performances i think that matthew broderick gives probably maybe a great performance in Ferris bueller and that's really what kind of pushes it over the edge yeah because do you think emilio estevez is a great actor no but he but they're all fine you know what i mean they're all fine in their roles it's just there's nothing just i mean i just can't look at him without seeing gordon bombay you know my favorite uh emilio estevez 80s thing was always Young Guns, even though it's not really a good movie. Uh, have you ever seen Young Guns? Movies? I'm just a big Mighty Ducks fan, not. man. I, Ducks. I, I'm a big Mighty Ducks 1, 2, and 3. I'm, I'm on board. Uh, I haven't seen those ones. But uh, Young Guns where he plays uh, Jesse James or or Billy the Kid. I, I, I can't remember. I think it's Billy the Kid. And Kiefer Sutherland and Lou Diamond Phillips are in, <laughs> are in that movie. And there's like Bon Jovi playing on the soundtrack. It's, they're, they're ridiculous. But, you know, there's something about his uh, kind of manic... Um, performance in that movie that you know, I probably would see it now and think, oh, that's ridiculous. But you know, that that's a movie that I connected with more in the '80s than The Breakfast Club, to be honest. So um, I guess kind of closing down our thoughts here. Let's just kind of bring it back full circle. Is this a movie? I mean, it's obviously culturally important, but Mike, do you think this movie holds up to a point that it's required viewing for every teen who's still to still going through this stuff? And my second follow up question. Is did your girlfriend find Emilio Estevez to be attractive? I didn't ask because I didn't want to know the answer. Because I, <laughs> I, I, in Nelson, my heart, I knew the Judd answer. Judd Nelson is going to be the guy that that uh, I think most girls. I think from, both from what I've read, at least. Uh, I think both. No, I don't know different. anything from uh, experience. Or, <laughs> <laughs> they, who did you who did you have a crush on? Yeah, he was wearing flannel before flannel was cool. I think, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they're both probably uh, attractive in different ways. Would be my guess. Um, Actually, I didn't ask her about that. She didn't comment. She's a good girlfriend. I didn't need any more insecurity issues than I already have. So, um, require viewing. I, I'd say you, you should see it for sure. I think it's it was so like you're a film completist. I'd yeah. say it's like it's, it's you know if you have only to think, if you're going for the complete set. Otherwise, it's <laughs> no waste your time. If you want to see the most John Hughesy John Hughes movie, this is probably it. And I would say I think I opinion. think it's good. I, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I did enjoy it a lot. I think um, yeah, I, I would definitely say check it out for sure. Um, if you like character stuff, I I think the one of the big things is if you don't like character movies, this is you're not gonna like this movie. If you like just sitting and watching character, I think, Ivan, you said you're bored a lot. I don't mind these movies that just focuses you're on a character. Have to wait for and James like, Cameron's remake of it, well. right, right, right. I mean, to really do it justice, <laughs> you make fun. Gonna... I think he would kill this movie. He would, he would destroy it. <laughs> James, <laughs> it would be a different film. It'd be awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so I feel, Dave. What do you, what do you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that if you're a, a film snob of some sort like say me and you would probably want to see this movie so that you could say why it's not that great if you want the movie achievement (laughs) so i think it's definitely worth seeing just so you can you know because it's a cultural touchstone i'd say yes see it but if you really want to see a good high school movie there are plenty of good high school movies rattle them off i mean well i mean i haven't i haven't seen can't hardly wait i can't can't hardly comment on can't hardly wait (laughs) 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 yeah i'll high five that one i was getting your second one today you're killing Um, it sweet you know a movie like I remember Clueless being more entertaining than than this movie. Okay, I, Clueless uh, is that, uh, but that's another cultural. And another story. and another Amy Heckerling movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Sean okay, Penn. Okay, Fast Times, yeah. Uh, Dazed and Confused, which isn't a movie that that uh, takes place when all it was right, made, but right, it's also right. a really good high school movie. 
and my favorite is Rushmore, and that's you know that's not really does it's not really a high school movie in the traditional sense. It's because it takes place at this prep school, and it's. I think any movie that Wes Anderson makes doesn't exist in any world. Yeah, it, it was actually it, been in. right, no. but I mean Rushmore no. is one of the few that feels like it takes place in some semblance of the real world to me. And uh, you know, so if I was going to pick, if I had to pick a high school movie. I would say I'd pick Rushmore. So I would say go see Rushmore, Breakfast Club if you're a completist. Um, I'm glad we had this conversation because after now that I've talked to you all, I don't feel bad about not loving this movie. I thought this was like a movie that is universally adored <laughs> Thanks, by Dave. everyone. Well, no, but like, you know, it's it's fine. This movie's fine is how I would yeah. put it. But it's not something that I just latched onto in a way that I thought I would because, um, you know, I thought I would just really jive with it and I didn't quite get there. So... Yeah. That's my kind of my assessment, and it's proof that this podcast is important because I don't think The Breakfast Club holds up. I don't. You're welcome, world. Yeah. <laughs> this is my gift <laughs> to welcome, you. World. Nice. Mission accomplished. Right. Um, so we yeah. did it. We did it, guys. So closing out this episode, if you want to find us on the web, you can do so at reviewedpodcast.com and at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, which is always important. And you can iTunes. You can also review com- it. Yeah, email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Morandi and uh, MikeMorandi.com. David. You can find me David. on Twitter at Dave Glanz, G-L-A-N-Z, or uh, DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at Lucky9Studios.com on Twitter at Ivan Kander, that's K-A-N-D-E-R, and I write and edit for a website called shortoftheweek.com, so you should check out that as well. For next episode, we are going to be sticking with the 80s. We're going to be staying in now uh, 1984. We're going to be talking about Beverly Hills Cop, right. the breakout movie for uh, Eddie Murphy. No, it was not the breakout movie. It was one of his most famous movies. Well, yes, it was. Yeah, right. It Yes. It was his breakout action movie? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I think his breakout movie was 48 Hours, but um, it was all in a very compressed time. This this is, it's at the top is, of his peak. This yeah. is when Eddie yeah. Murphy was the, Eddie Murphy. Yes. He ruled the world. That's right. He was definitely the top uh, movie And to star prove in the world. my point, when you type in Eddie Murphy and IMDb, the first search result that comes up movie wise <laughs> is Beverly Hills Cop. Cop. Okay. Uh, so, how but silly it was, do you But feel? it wasn't his breakout movie, it was his. Uh, Technically speaking, what you call this? <laughs> uh, yeah, technically speaking, it wasn't his uh, actual uh, breakup oh movie. Actually, somebody smacked me. <laughs> yeah, Forty Eight Hours was his first. Then it was Trading Places, and he followed that up with Beverly Hills Cop. So, yeah. anyway, so we will be discussing that next episode. So be sure to watch it. I believe it is available on Netflix Watch Instant, so you can easily Nailed stream it, it nice, in time nice. for the next episode. So we will. Uh, see you next time, Dave. Do you want to close out with just a little bit more singing? You know, just to Don't see. Don't you? Try and pretend. Right, I don't remember. <laughs> don't, 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 don't you forget about me. You, you, you jumped. No, no. So uh, what do you want to do next for that movie? Um, well, you guys can decide. Would you rather talk about Beverly Hills Cop mm-hmm. or Witness? Ooh, both good choices. It's hard to decide. Okay, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop it is. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop, is that what you said? Have yeah. you said